0: Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 26 for our study this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 26. also want to welcome anybody that's listening on the live stream. Uh, We have our our services that are live streamed. Someone uh, came up to me last week and says, you know, my mom listens every Sunday uh, in Georgia. So it's a blessing to think about all of us that are uh, joining us in worship uh, through the live stream. So welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you would refresh us that you would do a work in our hearts that can only come through your love. I pray that everybody that's here would understand in a greater way how much that you love them, how much they mean to you, God. Would you give us peace? Would you give us joy? Would you root out those things in our lives that don't glorify you? Father, we love you. We thank you for, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a really important question for you this morning. What are your favorite reruns? TV shows that you just love to watch over and over again. You're going, "Man, I would love to to watch these." What do you think are also the top 10 all-time rerun shows? Well, I got the list for you. So, number 10, the Dick Van Dyke show is number 10 on reruns. Number 9, The Big Bang Theory. Number 8, Cheers. Number 7, MASH. Some of you young people don't even know what that is, you know? Catch your reruns. Number six, All in the Family. Number five, Roseanne. Roseanne Barr. Number four, Seinfeld. Yay, Seinfeld. Number three, Golden Girls. Number two on the list is Friends. Number one, what do you think it is? I love Lucy. So confession time. Do you guys want to know what my favorite reruns are? This is a little humbling to say, but the first has got to be The Little House on the Prairie. For sure. I grew up watching that show, and it is fun to gather the family together. I can geek out on some Little House on the Prairie, and the other is probably the Andy Griffith Show. That's just, I'll go ahead and whistle right now for you, but I'll save it. I've titled this message, Rerun. And the reason is, is because we have seen events that are very similar to this already In the life of David. He's got another opportunity to kill Saul, and he chooses not to. He puts Saul into God's hands. It feels like a rerun. Rerun means to run again, obviously. And God takes David through this very similar circumstance for a purpose and a reason. It's to cement truth deep into David's hearts and ours as well. In scriptures, when God repeats himself, repetition is the mother of all learning. And so God's saying, I want you to get this. God doesn't waste words. He's communicated to us through Genesis, through Revelation. So as we see these similar events, it's a review for us if we've been studying this. Hopefully it'll spark and stir in us some fresh truth to apply in our hearts and lives. Verse 1 of chapter 26. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying... Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakaliah, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakaliah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness." David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. Saul over and over again gets to this place where he wants to kill David. It's almost to the point where you wanna just cry out to Saul and say, let it go, let it go. From the movie Frozen, remember the song? Let it go, I, right? Got three daughters and a boy with, with three daughters. It's a, we own the movie Frozen, right? But you just want to kind of slap Saul upside the head and say, man, just let it go. This is pathetic. You, you keep over a period of years wanting to kill David. You're putting all of your energy and your thought into how you can kill David. So he gets his 3,000 men again to go out into the wilderness to try to track down David. David has his spies and understands that Saul is coming after him. If you're taking notes, the first thing to write down and learn from this section of scripture is that bitterness destroys those who house it. Bitterness destroys those who house it. Once bitterness finds a home in our hearts and our lives, it begins to erode us and destroy us. And Saul's the example of that. He's living in unforgiveness, jealousy, and envy and bitterness. This story illustrates the destructive power of bitterness. There was two men that were sharing a hospital room and that happens in the hospital. A lot of times they'll put two patients into one room. They were both extremely ill. One man had the window and he would describe to the other man all the wonders that he could see the colors of the sunrise and the sunset, the orange and the blue, the color of the trees as they would change, the park with the pond, the ducks, there was a busy street below that would have a parade and he would let everything be known that was happening in in the parade. The man who couldn't see out the window, he longed for these times. He longed for these descriptions and his imagination. He could see everything that was being described to him. But then it hit him, how come I'm the one that never gets to look out the window? And before long, it would begin to irritate him at night, and he would think this over and over, and sure enough, bitterness set in. Well, the man with the, the window bed, he began to get more and more sick, and on this evening, this night, he begins to cough. And he begins to try to hit for his his button to call, call the nurse, but in his pain, he, he can't reach it. The man that's not in the window, he sees this happening but he chooses to not alert the, the nurse with his, his own button and watches his friend die. Finally, it's going to be my opportunity to be by the window. Sure enough, after the man is passed away and moved out of the room, he gets moved into the window. He can't wait to look out. It's all he's got to look forward to. looks out the window and all he can see is a brick wall all he can see. That's all that the view is. The man the whole time that had the window view was making all of this up for the benefit of the other man. And that's bitterness so many times. That's revenge so many times. We're longing for revenge. We're longing for, well, what am I going to see? At at the end of it, there's going to be nothing. If you've been tracking with us through this study of Saul and David, we've brought this up before, and are you still holding on to bitterness? Are you still housing it? Would you choose to walk in forgiveness? And what provides the strength or the source for forgiveness? It's that Christ has forgiven us. It's that Christ died for our sin. He paid my debt for me then to extend that forgiveness to someone else. There's times in scripture that God teaches us by example. He'll show us a virtue in someone's life or he'll show us this is what it looks like if you walk in bitterness. I don't think you wanna end up looking like Saul. You don't want to be in this pathetic state where he's unwilling to forgive. We go on into verse five. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zariah, the brother of Joab, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David sees that Saul and his men, they're sleeping. It's an opportunity for him to go right down into the camp, to come alongside Saul, asks if anybody's willing to go with him. Why do you think David wants to do this? Well, see, he doesn't want to kill Saul. But it seems that David wants to make Saul aware of his presence. You can understand that. If you've got a Saul in your life that's making you miserable, that seems to be hunting you down, you may not be at the point where you want revenge and you want to do them in, but you do want them to be aware of the pain that they're causing you. You want them to know that you're there. So David's going to take this risk, and he's going to go right into the camp. He's going to come right up to Saul, And he asks for someone to go with him. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, the brother of Joab, volunteers. Now this is a name that you you wanna take note of because as we get into 2 Samuel, Joab and Abishai, they're gonna become key characters as David becomes king. So David and Abishai, they're headed in, verse seven. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear, Stuck into the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. We don't see Saul without his spear as we've been traveling through this story. If he's awake, he's got his spear in his hand. Because he's asleep, he's got it stuck into the ground. He's got his jug of water. And this is an a, amazing event that David's able to sneak in and get this close to Saul with this many soldiers, with 3,000 men surrounding them, them, all being asleep. It's very clear that God's hand is upon David, not upon Saul. Because all logic would say that David should be hunted down by Saul. Saul's got him outnumbered. Saul has the whole army of Israel. David just has six, 600 men. David should have been done in long before this. Saul tries his best, but can never capture David. But yet, again and again, God puts Saul in David's hands. Maybe you felt like, I've been here before. David has felt that way. This seems very similar when Saul was in the cave, attending to his needs and David comes and just cuts the the corner of his robe. And sometimes in your life, you may feel like, man, I've been here before. This is a rerun. God is presenting this situation to me again. In verse eight, then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. I believe Abishai. I think this guy is a proven warrior, and he could take Saul's spear, and he's like, I'm not gonna need a second shot. I'm not gonna need a second opportunity. Do you know how tempting this would be for David? Because this spear, this very spear, was used to try to, to kill David on two occasions. Saul took this spear and tried to pin David to the wall. He used this spear to try to kill Jonathan, David's best friend, his own son. And now you have Abishai using this language God has delivered him. This is God's hand. That's exactly what was said to David when he was in the cave. God has has brought this about. So here's the second thing to consider is temptation will knock more than once, won't it? Temptation will knock more than once. That's what we learn from from this narrative. You get through it once. You, You don't take things into your own hands. You don't deal with the Saul in that way, and then all of a sudden, here's this same temptation that that is presented. And we need to be clear that God will test us, but he doesn't tempt us. So he'll bring things into our lives to, to refine us, but he's not gonna tempt us with sin. We're tempted by our own evil desires. This is Abishai, not God. Abishai's saying, God is the one who has given you this opportunity. Maybe sometimes you have People in your life that like to speak in, in this way. Well, well, God really wouldn't want you to pay your taxes because of the way that the government is using the money. It's okay for you to, to cheat on, on your taxes. Well, really? Jesus said, give unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Do you think that Caesar was a godly leader? You think Paul, when he was writing Romans 13, was dealing with godly leadership? No, the Romans were, were far from, from godly. They'd come in with occupation. But it's so easy for someone to, to slip in the God card to give us an out of walking in righteousness and David could have easily took, taken this bait and taken this temptation. Verse nine, but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David says no way. Out of his respect and fear for the Lord. This is the Lord's anointed. So God forbid that that I would do this. The reason that David doesn't kill Saul is because he's honoring the Lord. There'll be times in your life when you're dealing with authority where it's difficult to honor the person, but you need to honor the position. It's difficult to honor Saul as a person here. He's a very corrupt man, he's a very evil man, But David still finds a way to honor his position because he wants to honor God. One of the principles about the Lord is he says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How is humility expressed when we honor the authority that God has placed before us? I remember growing up and thinking, man, once I get out of my parents' house, I won't have to deal with authority anymore. This is going to be great. I can't, can't wait to, to move out. Mom and dad aren't going to be telling me what to do. And then I discovered what you discovered. And that's why you laughed, is you never get away from authority your whole entire life, right? Young people, if you're still living at home, God is preparing you through your parents to learn how to honor authority. Because as soon as you get out of the house, you've got college professors to deal with, you've got bosses to deal with, you've got rules that are placed in society to to keep everyone safe, and you will struggle throughout life if you never learn how to deal with authority. And David understands how to honor God by honoring his authority, even when it's difficult. He says, no, don't go after the Lord's anointed. Write this down and think about this. Pray this through. Relying on past victories will result in present defeat. What I find in David is he's not relying on past victories. What do I mean by this? As David is continuing to walk with the Lord, that's why he's experiencing continued victory. The Psalms give us an indication of where David's heart is in this period of the wilderness. It's difficult. He's crying out to God. I picture David taking time to worship, getting up early to seek the Lord, going under the night sky and crying out to God. It wasn't easy, but he was drawing near to the Lord. And because of that, then when the difficulty comes, he's able to respond in a godly manner. There's no shortcuts here. It's by drawing near to God, spending time with God, being in his word, being personal with the Lord, intimate with the Lord. Then here comes The trial. here comes the test, here comes the the temptation, and we're able to have victory because we're connected to the Lord. But it's easy to go, well, I remember back when I succeeded in the cave by God's grace, and I'm relying upon that. And this morning we might be going, I'm really relying upon my relationship with the Lord going 10 years ago. 10 years ago, worship was really vibrant for me. My heart was really engaged in singing to the Lord. Five years ago, I was really in the Word. I was really connected in, in fellowship. My, my prayer life was really, really active. Sometimes we're even re- relying upon our reputation of walking with the Lord. Your kids know you as someone who walks with God. Your, your friends know you as someone who, who goes to church, and we're really relying more on the reputation than the reality. Well then, what happens? We're not gonna be prepared for the battle the way David is. So here's the encouragement, frequently, often drawn near to God. Maybe right now in the midst of of this service, Father, I love you. Thank you for giving me your son. I give myself afresh to you. Daily spending time in God's word and in prayer and engaging in that relationship with the Lord. For me, if I'm not spending time with the Lord, temptation is much more difficult. It becomes much more tempting because my heart's not connected with the Lord. I can tell a difference in my heart and in my personality if I go just a couple of days without spending time in the word, without spending time time in prayer. But then the flip side's also true. If I'm spending time with the Lord, then he equips me and he empowers me and the temptation's not quite as tempting. It's not coincidence that I think David is able to succeed a second time in this. We go on into verse 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to an end, or he shall go out to battle and perish. God lives, and since God lives, God has the ability to deal with Saul and to strike him, or Saul's just gonna come to the place where he dies, or he's gonna die in battle. It's the latter that comes true. Saul gets to that place where he does die in battle, but it's this deep-rooted faith in Saul and David's heart that God will be faithful to deal with Saul. In verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Saul's the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. David didn't take it lightly that Saul had been anointed by God to be king. Samuel had anointed Saul for this task. Now why does David take the spear and the jug? This message is crystal clear. If it is a war, a battle, you sneak into the enemy's camp and you take another soldier's weapon, you take his gun, it's very clear what you're declaring to him. I could have killed you. I could have very easily killed you. And once again, David is making this point to Saul. Verse 12, so David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep fell, a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Do you ever read the scriptures and notice something that you've never noticed before? Or is that just me? That happens to me all the time. I was reading this, and I never noticed that this was a supernatural sleep that God put on these 3,000 men. You've got 3,000 soldiers. No doubt there was a couple of them, a handful of them, maybe even 50 or 100 of them, or it's your job to stay up and watch. They're trained to do this. Make sure nobody sneaks, sneaks into camp. But God had caused all of them to fall asleep. They're sleeping so well that as David comes in, none of them wake up. He's able to, to escape right out of, of their hand. This is God's doing. This is some good REM right here. If you could take this God's sleep and put it in a pill, it'd be really popular, wouldn't it? It's even natural, like melatonin, straight from the Lord, you know? It's like, man, give me, give me some of that. That'd be some good sleep. I had some crazy dreams last night. I, I, I think I just dreamed this over and over. All, all my teeth started falling out. And there was like a tooth over here and a tooth over here. And, and then, like, the front of my teeth, like, just the bottom parts of them have, had fallen off. It was so real that when I woke up, I'm all touching my teeth, you know. And, well, anyway, that was for free, just a side note for you. <laughs> but these guys are knocked out by the Lord, and they're, they're asleep. In verse 13, Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill far off, a great distance being between them, and David called out to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer Abner? Abner is the general. Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to, to the king? And you can hear the anger in Abner's voice. It's like, Who are you in, in your obstinance calling out to the king in this way? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? He brings out the man card. He's like, So, Abner, where were you in this? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? Why didn't you guard Saul? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. This thing that you've done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you've not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head." Sometimes in conversation, people save the ace card, don't they? They've got the trump that's going to win the argument. And David has that because he's got the spear and the jug. Saying, Abner, somebody came in to, to destroy the king. And Abner's probably going, Yeah, right. Really? And David's like, Yeah, check out the spear, check out the jug. And David's yelling this from across the valley. All of a sudden, everything gets silent, and here comes Saul. Then Saul knew David's voice and says, is that your voice, my son? David said, it's my voice, my lord, O king. Saul recognized David's voice. Why do you think that Saul recognized David's voice? Well, of course, it's his son-in-law. But even more so, I think it's because of the bitterness in Saul's heart. When you're really angry at someone, you just replay their voice over and over in your mind. You replay their face over and over in your mind. They're all that you can think about. Bitterness just starts to, to consume us in this way. Saul probably kept thinking about that song, that hit song. David's killed his tens of thousands, and I've killed my thousands. And just allowing the anger to build in his heart and his mind, he recognizes the voice of David. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? or what evil is in my hand? David saying, why are you still after me? What evil have I done? Why are you trying to to kill me? Now therefore, please let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept my offering. David saying, if this has come from the Lord and God is angry at me, then may God accept my offering. May there be peace between me and the Lord. But if it is the children of men, May they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord. Go and serve other gods. David saying, If this is coming from the children of Israel, then let them be accursed for doing that. Let them be accursed for their idolatry. However, we know the source of where this is coming from. It's Saul's envy, it's his jealousy, it's his bitterness that's causing him to come after David. This conversation between Saul and David is almost identical to the conversation that they had prior from the cave experience. Verse 20, so now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains, a small bird in in the mountains. David's message continues to be clear, continues to be the same. Saul, you've got better things to do. Why are you out here chasing me, a flea, a a small bird? Verse 21, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. This sounds really, really good, doesn't it? It would be hard to beat this apology. Let's check it out. First, he says, I've sinned. That's always nice if someone has done something wrong that they admit it and they say, you know what? I've sinned to you. Then he calls him son. Oh, that sounds pretty good too. A term of endearment. And then he promises, so you've got I've sinned, admission of wrong, a term of endearment. Then he says, I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. So it seems like a change of direction. Here I am, I've been trying to kill you. I'm gonna stop trying to kill you. And then he even puts a little cherry on the cake. Indeed, I've played the fool and erred exceedingly. You may not get an apology ever like this in your life. Anybody ever heard of the book Five Love Languages? Raise your hand if you have. It's a great book, great book on marriage and relationships, how we all receive love and and learning your spouse's love language by Dr. Chapman. He also wrote another book that is called The Five Languages of Forgiveness, that we also receive and give forgiveness in, in different ways. For some of you, it's enough if someone simply says, I'm sorry. For others of you, you need to hear them say, I'm sorry and articulate what they have done wrong. Some of you need to hear them say I'm sorry as well as have actions to make up for what they have done wrong. So if they broke a window at your house, they say I'm sorry and they're willing to pay for it. Some of you, you don't need that. Others of you need that and it's really helpful to learn that forgiveness language uh, with, with your spouse. And really Saul here, he covers all of the basis of a really good apology but he misses the most important and that is he's not going to follow through with the apology. And so here's the last thing to consider, the last point is this. Over time, words without action are meaningless. Over time, words without action are meaningless. And this is the humbling thing. Is those that are closest to us, they know. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, single, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, those that are closest to you in life, they know when you say sorry, if you mean it and anything's going to change, or if it's just words. It's just words. They're just blowing smoke. There's no heart change. There's no conviction here, and they get sick of it, don't they? They get tired of hearing it. We've lost credibility with them because There's not any follow through with our words of sorry. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Confessing sin, acknowledging what we've done wrong, being in agreement with God and others where we've sinned, but then also forsaking the sin. That's where we find mercy. Mercy from God, mercy from people, when they see us turning away from sin. Does this mean we'll never sin again? Does this mean we'll never struggle in that area again? No, but it does mean there is a heart conviction to say, I'm turning away from this. I don't want to continue in this. I'm starting to put actions along with the sorrow that I'm feeling. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth about the same subject, about a sorrow that leads to repentance. It says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So godly sorrow, we feel the weight of our sin. And unlike Saul, it leads to repentance. It leads to a change of direction. Maybe this is for you this morning. The Holy Spirit's just saying, bam, gotcha. Gotcha. And you find yourself over and over to God and the ones you love saying, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? I'm so sorry. I- I've been the fool. Man, God, God forgives you. He absolutely does. But he also provides the power for us to be able to change. And right now, determined to take some action. In what area is it tripping us up? In what area are we, are we falling through? What would this look like for Saul? If he would have chosen to put some actions to the words, you know what it would have looked like? Saul taking his spear and doing this, breaking the spear, handing his broken spear over to David and taking action with it. What's connected to our sin, saying, I'm going to break that away? I'm going to choose to, to take some actions in, in this area of struggle. Verse 22 And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. This is extremely gracious. Not only has David spared Saul's life, but now he says, here's your weapon back. Remember, this is the weapon that was used to try to kill David. It'd be like someone trying to kill you with their gun and you getting it away from them and saying, here, you can have it back. Now, if I was in David's shoes, I would not have done this. I got to tell you, you know, this this is killing them with kindness. I mean, David's really going above and beyond to say, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to do good to those who, who persecute me. I'm going to pray for them. I'm putting this in, in God's hands. I think David knows, especially as we look at our study next week, that Saul's going to continue to come after him. Verse 23, Now the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David holds on to some truths here, firm in his heart. And he says that God will repay every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. In Galatians, Paul wrote and said, God won't be mocked. That whatever a man sows, that he will reap. It's truth in gardening. You plant corn, you're going to get corn. You plant green beans, you're going to get green beans. I tend to more like to work on my grass than than the garden. So if I I plant grass seed, guess what I get? I get grass seed. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so here, Saul, what is he putting into the ground? Unfaithfulness, wickedness. That's what he's going to get in his harvest. But David, what is he sowing? He's sowing righteousness. He's sowing faithfulness. And God sees. And then there in Galatians, God speaks to our hearts and he says, don't get weary in doing good. Because in due time, you're gonna reap the harvest if you don't lose heart. Because it'd be so easy for David to go, well, this doesn't seem like this is happening. When is God gonna repay? When is God gonna get Saul? When is God going to reward for for faithfulness? And his harvest comes slow. Sometimes his harvest comes in eternity. It may be when you get to heaven and God says, thank you so much for serving me. Thank you so much for giving those children, a cup of cold water in my name, but God will not be mocked. Whatever you reap, you will sow. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have sown towards his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. God sees the labor of love, and he will reward. He's not unjust to forget. This morning, there's people expressing a labor of love even for us to be able to enjoy the service together. Last night we had we had service and the roads were bad and and we had five people that came and did children's ministry. What a blessing. that they came out and they they did children's ministry. Young kids on snowy cold days they they start to go crazy in the house, don't they? To be able to bring them to church and let them run around in this this giant children's ministry If we had the capacity, I almost turned out all the lights last night and said, hey, everybody, let's play laser tag. That would have been really fun to to be able to do. But the worship team coming out on on snowy roads to to be able to, to lead us in worship. But it happens every week. A lot of you serve in that way. You minister to the saints. And guess what? As you live your life in faithfulness to the Lord, the service is not always inside of these four walls. You do your job under the Lord. You try to love your family in a way that glorifies God. You care about your neighbors and you pray for them. And guess what? Christianity today is not knocking on your door saying, you know, I want to do an interview with you. You're one of the most 50 influential people in the Christian kingdom. I'm so thankful for what you do in your job. I'm so thankful for what you do in your home. Moms, you should be getting that article, you know, You should be getting the the Christianity today coming and saying, you are doing such a great job in in investing in your kids. Dads, as you love and provide for your family, you should be getting that. But that's not going to come. That's not going to happen. You're not getting followers on Twitter. You're not getting likes on Facebook. You know, you're not a YouTube phenomena, but you're serving faithfully unto the Lord. And God sees that. And he honors that. And David held on to that truth in his life. God repays. Be encouraged in what you're doing. And then the other thing that David holds on to is that he's not gonna be led into sin by somebody else's sin. At the end of verse 23, he says, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Saul, you're sinning, but I'm not gonna respond in sin. And that's a tough thing. Someone's sinning against you, it's very easy to respond with sin. Verse 24, this is my favorite verse of the chapter, if I can have one This really ministered to me. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. David valued Saul's life, that's why he spared it, even though Saul was in wickedness. He's asking that Saul would value his life But more than anything else, he's trusting the fact that the Lord values his life. The reason that this ministered to me is because the value of human life is really, really important. And once we stop valuing human life like Saul, we've lost something that's very dear and very beautiful and very powerful. Why do we value human life? First, because God created us. He created us. It's a big deal. Is it a big deal to to believe that God is the creator of all things? Absolutely, it really affects your, your worldview. If we're not created by God and we simply evolved, we came from monkeys, why not just treat each other like monkeys so that we're created? But not just that we're created, but that we're created in God's image because you are in the image of God which is different from all the rest of creation. You do have greater value than the animals. You do have greater value than the trees. We were watching 60 Minutes, Amber and I, before church uh, Saturday afternoon, and they had this you know, episode, and it was pretty engaging on this type of, of ape in, in the Congo, and I wasn't familiar with it, but they really elevated the ape that they really haven't figured out on how to do life, and we should be learning from the apes on how to do life. And you could tell they were worshiping the apes, I don't know about you, but I'd rather look to God on how to do life than than a bunch of apes. And I'm thankful for them, they're part of God's creation, but they're not made in God's image, you're made in God's image. So then we're valuing human life beyond the grass and the trees and the animal kingdom. But it gets even greater. Created by God, created in his image, and then God gave his son for us. God gave his son for humanity. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave, His only begotten Son. For God so loved what? The world. What's He speaking about? He's speaking about humanity. God gave His Son for men, women, boy, girl, that whoever believes would have everlasting life. When we look at the Father's description of the Son, there's two times that the Father spoke audibly of the Son out loud. The baptism of Christ, the Mount of Transfiguration. And both times he said, this is my beloved son. He says, this is my boy. World, I want you to hear this. I love this guy. He is my he's my son. He's my boy. And the reason that God is saying that is because he's also showing the value of the sacrifice of Jesus. We know this, especially this time of year, that value is determined by what people are willing to pay what they're willing to pay. You may have a car that's valued by so much money on Blue Book, but if it's a car that a lot of people want, guess what? You're going to get more than Blue Book value. People know that, and they'll put it out there on Craigslist for more than Blue Book value. If you've got a car that nobody wants, it's a make, it's a model, it's a Pinto, nobody wants it, right? Blue Book value might say $300. You're not going to get $300, right? So value is determined by what willing people are willing to pay. So we apply that to what God paid for you. What did God pay for you? His son. The precious blood of his son. David believed that his life had value. He said, God, let you deliver my life from Saul in this tribulation. And do you believe that your life has value by God? You've got to look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and go, I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm valued. And then also look out at humanity and know they're loved. They're created by God. They're created in God's image. Christ died for them. God, I want to help them know how much they're valued by you. So we end in verse 25. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. He knows the truth but is not surrendering to it. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. What do we apply from this rerun? First, bitterness destroys. Will this morning be the morning where we choose to forgive when we walk in the truth of forgiveness, not allowing our life to look like Saul? You might be saying, how do I forgive? It's a choice of the will, not of the emotions. If you wait till you feel like forgiving, you're gonna wait a really long time. You're gonna go to your grave a bitter soul. You have to choose by faith. I'm gonna let it go. You can sing to yourself the frozen song this morning as you leave, let it go, let it go. Temptation will knock multiple times. You'll have opportunity to do Saul in and don't rely on past victories. Maybe this morning's the morning where we, we need to return to our first love. As it, was there a time where you used to read the scriptures more? Was there a time where you were more passionate about lost souls? Was there a time when you could say, man, I was in love with the Lord? Return to that place, redo those first works. David knew that God valued his life, and do you? Do you know that God values your life? That he thinks about you more than the sands of the sea? He knows his thoughts, that of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He knows when you stand, when you sit, He knows the number of hairs on your head or lack thereof, amen? He values your life. This is on my heart as we leave this morning is that I'd like you to stand and from God's word, I wanna pronounce a blessing on you. So go ahead and stand and stand with me. And this is biblical. In Numbers chapter six is the priests would speak this over the congregation as they would leave. And I wanna speak this over you and pray this over you for the sole purpose that you would know that you're valued by God. So the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord lift up your countenance and the Lord be gracious to you. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name in a way that I can't communicate with words that you would affirm your love for your people this morning, that you would bless them, that you would give gracious gifts to them, that you would keep them. Lord, if there's trial, if there's difficulty, challenge, would you just give them that assurance that you're with them and through your power, would you keep them? Cause your face to shine upon them. Lord, would they know your favor, that you look at them with love. Because of the sacrifice of your son, you look upon us as your sons and your daughters. May they feel the warmth of your love. God, would you lift up their countenance for discouraged, distressed, just tired, wore out. Would you renew strength? Would we we walk out being able to have our countenance lifted by you? We pray that you would give peace. Please give peace. Jesus, you're the prince of peace. Would you give that peace that surpasses understanding? And would you be gracious to us? We know that your grace doesn't shut off after we are saved. It continues in our lives and we express our need for your grace. God, you know every heart. You know those that haven't said yes to you, that haven't surrendered to you. We pray that this would be the moment of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.